Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Blockhash Podcast. We have another great episode for you today. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and follow wherever you are tuning in. Hold tight for just a second as we play a quick advertisement and countdown video while we wait for everyone to join. Thank you and we hope that you enjoy the episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 328. Uh, today, with the CEO of Tectum, Russell Sean, here to talk about their blockchain, the power of their blockchain, as well as their SoftNote product as a layer two scaling solution. A lot of cool stuff we want to jump in today uh, with Russell. So, Russell, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time, man. How are you doing? Yeah, great to be here, Brandon. Doing very well yourself. Doing very well as well. Um, so let's start off by getting a bit more about you and your background. Would love to learn about what you've done in the past prior to Tectum. Like, have you had some experience in the blockchain Web3 industry before? Or is this your first go at it? Um, you tell me your story, man. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting question. So I actually, similar to yourself, come from a neuroscience background. So I was actually, I did my master's in neuroscience. I was running a couple of oh, medical cool. tech oriented businesses. And I also had a security business. Some of that was cybersecurity. Some of it was physical security appliances. And as I was going into the med tech world, I seemed to lean more and more towards the tech side. I actually had a PhD lined up for a proposal for a clinical trial relating to multiple sclerosis, and then COVID hit. So all the hospitals were shut down, the clinical trial couldn't go ahead. So I did put that on pause, but I've been tracking blockchain technology for a while, looking at the benefits of integrating it into the med world, but the financial world as well. And I actually had quite a personal experience with how the financial world as it's currently set up doesn't seem to serve customers in the way that it perhaps has had in the past or ethically as it should currently. So for one of my businesses, I had a huge amount of finances frozen that was working capital. It turned out to have absolutely no basis whatsoever, but it just demonstrated that the authorities had the ability to do something like that. And there was nothing I could do by way of submitting evidence to liberate me to get those funds back in that period of time. So that propelled me even more so into the blockchain, the Web3 world. I had this PhD coming up, but I was looking at different internships in the blockchain world, looking at different options for employment. And because I was doing R&D, I'd been following what Crisp Mind, which is the company who I'm CEO of at the moment, were doing. And I then a vacancy came up actually in the R&D department. And given my background, R&D was perfectly suited. So I pursued that. They were looking to create a layer two solution for Bitcoin. I've been a huge fan of Bitcoin. I had 
some personal losses way back in 2014 um, with Bitcoin. So it was definitely something I was interested in. And pretty much everything has just been uphill or downhill from there, however you see it. It's been a deep dive. It's been fascinating. I've been able to apply much of the tech background that I had, but mm -hmm. also just the learning, learning curve has been incredibly steep. So that's how I got into it. Um, the team itself, the background to the project, the company itself has been running for about seven years. We are a cybersecurity company first. That's another thing that drew me to this project. And we've been doing B2B cybersecurity for a while, but it's just been the last three or four years, having already developed a lot of distributed ledger technologies and blockchain technologies that we've actually gone B2C. But in a nutshell, that's how I've got here. And that's how the company is where it's at. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's cool to hear about your neuro background too. You know, yeah, we have yeah, some similarities there. Um, did you ever find a way to apply neuro to this industry? That's something I've been trying to do for a long time because I wasn't going into like a med tech background. I was like yeah. going to be a full blown uh, neurosurgeon or neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to medical school for like that specifically. Right. Gotcha. Only way I got into blockchain is because I had invested into Ethereum when it was like yep. six or seven dollars. And then when I graduated, it popped and I was like, oh, maybe I should, you know, think about this twice. <laughs> yeah, right. quite. Well, great question, Brandon. And it's somewhat in the plans, especially at Chris Mine. And the big theory behind it and applied to neuroscience at first, but I'm a huge fan of quantum medicine. Getting down to the subatomic particle level, being able to evaluate, let's take the electron spins and watching the influence they have on, let's say, something such as the mitochondria and being able to rejuvenate a cell. There's been some incredible pilot studies that have come out recently. And I was speaking to uh, one, of our, one of my colleagues in the business who's got a med background as well. And I was saying to him, blockchain technology is highlighting all of the problems in medicine at the moment. And if you think about it, Brandon, when you went through education, medical education, everything's focused from a top-down level. We start with chemicals, we apply them in animal models, and we hope to see a certain result. But imagine if Tesla, when they were designing their new motor, took that approach. They just threw different things at the motor, tried different components to see if it would go faster, or you could get the tension that you wanted, or you could get the torque out of it. It'd be absolutely ludicrous, but that's what we do in the medical industry. We start from the top and we work down. And I'm absolutely convinced you've got to start at the quantum level and then work up and then find out where the misfunctions of the cell are right at the most smallest elements of that cell and then decipher what's going on with that cell life cycle in order to get it to function optimally. So that is in the pipeline. Um, we'll find out a little bit later cool. how our blockchain is designed to be able to bring on those applications. But yeah, at the moment, the big thing is the fintech. The big thing is the Bitcoin scale. Got it. Um, and yeah, so tell me more about the blockchain. Tell me more about Tectum and what you guys are doing there. Um, I, I looked into it a little bit ahead of the podcast over the last couple of days. It's really fascinating some of the things you guys are working on. But tell me, like, what are you guys prioritizing the most with Tectum? And what are some of the advantages of being able to build on your guys' chain? Yeah, absolutely. So as I was stating, our background is distributed ledger technology. It became blocks 
oriented in about 2015, 2016. It was a business partner that actually wanted us to do that. And as soon as we found we had this great blockchain, we focused on latency. And that's exactly what the business partner wanted. They wanted the latency to be as low as possible. At this point, it was completely centralized. But we were looking at making these transactions or events or however you want to refer to them happen as fast as possible. So what we started looking at was <clears throat> how the current blockchains were functioning. And when we analyzed the block, we saw that there was actually a lot of redundant data that was being pushed to these nodes. Some of the data you get in a block is categorically replicated from the previous block. It doesn't need to be there. So we worked on a hashing algorithm. And in a nutshell, the way it works, Brandon, is we take a hash, or we were taking a hash, of the previous block, and then only feeding down to the other nodes the information that has changed in the new block. And it turns out, once you focus from that paradigm, you can get it to one-eighth of the size. But the fascinating thing is, because we were already taking a hash of the previous block, uh, and we were working at transactions at the time, we've essentially closed that transaction. So every transaction was becoming a new block, or every event was becoming a new block. So it, it may sound bizarre, but every event on our blockchain is a new block which gives you huge security. I mean, we all know about the different Bitcoin forks that have tried to extend that block size in order to get quicker latency times, but then they sacrifice security as, as a result, and they haven't been able to garner the same type of interest. So what we've got now, because of this hashing algorithm, is a blockchain that's eight times faster than it would be if we followed the old protocol or the old style of distributing blocks, and it's one block per transaction. So right now in our test net, we're running at 1.3 million transactions per second. And each of those transactions is a new block. So you can imagine the security you get from that, having an immutable transaction processed instantly, but it's also processing incredibly quickly. So in a nutshell, that's where our speed comes from, Brandon. But we've also got, and it's a bit of a deep dive, we recommend anybody grab the white paper. We've got three level of, levels of nodes. We've got what you could refer to as the elected node. He's right at the top. He switches every 200 milliseconds. So an elect node cannot stay an elect node for more than 200 milliseconds. And that interplays into our proof of utility consensus, which I know we're going to get to shortly, but <clears throat> the reason for that is we don't want, for trust purposes, the same elect node being there to process numerous transactions. He then takes the hash of the previous block, sends any changed data down to what we call the master nodes. They're a set of nodes that have met our minimum criteria, and we've got an integrated proof of stake element to it as well. And then they write that new transaction or that new block, and then the new master node closes it and the cycle starts again. And because of the switching element and that hashing algorithm, we're able to do it incredibly fast, but what we think is a very secure method as well. Awesome. No, it's really interesting to see the node structure that you guys have for Tectum. I think a lot of people will right. be very fascinated in that. The white paper, I assume, is on the website. They want to look at the technical side, right? Absolutely. Hop into our Telegram as well. We've got links to our pitch deck there as well. And we're always open. We love answering community questions. So shoot one out in the group as well, and we'll get back to you. Sweet. Um, I would love to more, learn more about the uh, consensus mecha mechanism that you guys use, proof of utility. I know it's a bit different. Um, curious how that separates itself from maybe like a legacy proof of work or proof of stake, which is most common today, um, and why you guys went with that method. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a brilliant question, Brandon. And it's essentially a hybrid of proof of stake and proof of utility. So anybody who knows about proof of stake consensus mechanisms, they know that much of them incur problems when you are selecting the node randomly. Very often the system is going to select a node. That node has either got issues connecting or that node may have some downtime. And that brings down the speed of the blockchain. So what we've done is we've done a rating system. That rating system is integrated on the basis of uptime, hardware, capacity, latency and the speed the general speed so you've got four criterias that we evaluated on and you've essentially got a lower threshold and an upper threshold if you get above the lower threshold you then qualify to be one of the master nodes that i spoke of this means that you can write the transactions you can validate the transactions and you can be eligible to become a master node if you get to the top of the threshold it means you have a hundred percent ranking and although our algorithm for choosing the elect node is completely random it, you have more chances of being chosen the higher your rating so that accounts for 50 percent of the, your ability or your eligibility to be chosen. And then the other 50% is on the basis of staking. So we've got our token, you can stake that against the node and you can increase your likelihood of being chosen. And we see this as the ultimate combination of ensuring there's efficiency, ensuring we maintain the speed, ensuring the nodes are of a high quality, but also ensuring that trust is there. If there's ever a situation that fraudulent transactions are written or fraudulent events, we have that staked token and tech token is our token as things currently stand we have that too if we need to be able to slash or reduce their rating in order to ensure that the performance stays optimal very fascinating as more more of that is in the white paper i imagine too if people want to dive into those really? details yeah and we started off with quite okay. a raw white paper we've got a version out that's a little bit more palatable but we're expanding it okay. as things currently speak it's a bit of a live document <laughs> Got it. Perfect. Um, let's talk about the SoftNote product. I'm very curious and excited about your guys' layer two uh, scaling solution and how it applies to, to Bitcoin or crypto. Uh, more broadly, what, what is SoftNote designed to do specifically? Is it just for scaling? Are there other benefits to it? Um, and then maybe how does it compare to something that's more uh, common and widely used for Bitcoin, for example, like Lightning Network? Mm, yeah, great question. Absolutely. So the soft note is essentially a philosophical paradigm that we've then implemented the development for. So mm -hmm. if we went way back to when gold and coins were traded, the problem with those were they were heavy. You had to somehow break them. You had to devise them. And they cost a lot to transport. So if mm -hmm. hypothetically you were going to buy a house, Brandon, and you wanted to pay in gold, you're going to have to take all that gold up there, then you've got the negotiation period. So what civilization did quite rightly, is they created lighter versions, representations of that gold to trade in order to secure some kind of value when you're in the open marketplace. And the philosophy is the same with the soft node. Now, we all know what happened with fiat currency. It moved away from that gold backing. There was mm -hmm. no technological way to connect the two. So theoretically, it was never going to work in a, in a physical context. But Bitcoin is totally different because it's an electronic currency. It's a technological concept. You can apply another technological concept with the same philosophy of the model that we spoke about in order to connect the two so that's what we've done with soft note a soft note in a nutshell is a serial number 
it's a passcode and that passcode varies in size. And it's also the private keys that have been encrypted on our blockchain. So you've got those three elements. It's a serial number, it's the passcode and the private keys encrypted on our blockchain. Now that serial number is assigned to a Bitcoin wallet. Those Bitcoin wallets come about from minting. So if you were to go onto our wallet right now, Brandon, you could mint a soft note. Essentially what the system would do is it would create a Bitcoin wallet, that Bitcoin wallet would be a certain denomination. The denominations are based on the Federal Reserve statistics as things currently stand to work out which denominations circulate the most. That blockchain would put the serial number, that passcode, and then it would create the private keys for that soft note, that, sorry, that Bitcoin wallet in a encrypted form. We're currently using SRA dual encryption. So it creates them encrypted, but we only apply the first layer of encryption that can be decrypted by a second smart contract further down the line. And this goes as an event on the blockchain. So what that means in a practical sense is you now have the ability to using that passcode and we use a novel zero proof knowledge a zero knowledge proof concept in order to change the passcode so the nodes never see the passcode. Utilizing that passcode, you change ownership of that serial number, which is attached to the private keys of that Bitcoin wallet. So that passcode gives somebody the access if they so wish to burn that soft node. But theoretically, because you have that access in that passcode, you can now, just using the serial number and passcode, send a Bitcoin soft node to your cousin in El Salvador over WhatsApp in a split second because it's happening on our 1.3 million transactions blockchain with a completely closed block confirmed within a split second as well. And that person has got it instantly and they now have full access to that Bitcoin. So it's people find it to be a fascinating product because we've been through the life cycle of it. It, it doesn't fascinate mm -hmm. us as much at the moment. But Theoretically, this is essentially our tagline. We're not actually moving Bitcoin. We're moving the ownership of Bitcoin. And we've done things like assign visuals to it. You can go on cash.softnote.com and see the visual for your softnote. But theoretically and technologically, that's just a serial number, a passcode, and the encrypted private keys. Got it. What are some of the similarities or differences in comparison to like the Lightning Network, for example, which has made a name for itself, creating mm. layer two scaling for Bitcoin? Right, absolutely. And we love the Lightning Network. We actually track mm -hmm. the Lightning Network through the process of everything that we were doing with the SoftNote. And what astounded us was we believe they got the principle right at the beginning. So what Lightning proposed to do is try to get away from creating the transactions on the native blockchain. They see the great utility, they see the great security and decentralization of Bitcoin. But what they wanted to do is fulfill that Bitcoin trilemma bring back the scalability. And the first step we completely agree with, it's very similar to what we do. You move Bitcoin off the native blockchain, you find a way to record transactions. And the difference between ourselves and the Lightning Network is we keep it there. We keep moving the ownership of Bitcoin rather than at some point settling on the native blockchain. And of course, the Lightning Network wanted it to stay that way. And their philosophy was, Everybody was going to open multiple routing channels and the whole world was going to become this interconnected grid of lightning network channels. The only problem was, and it comes back to the trilemma, as soon as you start to go beyond that multi-sig wallet, you require a trusted partner. And I don't know, have you used the lightning network yourself, Brandon? 
I've used it in the past to buy a Domino's pizza. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, the classic. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know if you then switched over to another recipient, but then you've got to open a routing channel. That routing channel has to be accepted. And for the purpose of ensuring that none of these particular points in that routing channel go offline, you've then got to employ a watchtower system. As soon as that watchtower system comes in, it's a trusted system. And the very point of Bitcoin is it becomes completely trustless. People love Bitcoin because of its trustless nature. They love Bitcoin because of its decentralized nature. So what we saw with the Lightning Network was a great philosophy that wouldn't ever be played out because you change all the benefits of Bitcoin as soon as you open that routing channel. And we did a lot of research and statistics on everything that happened in El Salvador. I'm not sure if you are kept an eye on that, but the government decided that they wanted to make Bitcoin their national currency, which we think is incredible. We would love it if more governments made that decision. It's, it's the government essentially showing that they don't have a desire for tyrannical rule, which everybody wants. And so what happened in um, El Salvador is statistics demonstrated that the whole of civilization, the whole of the general community in El Salvador were very pro-Bitcoin. But as soon as the Lightning Network was implemented, within about three weeks, there were complaints left, right and center of constant having to settle on the native blockchain. So people were waiting about 40 minutes for their KFC payment to go through. As soon as they wanted to switch over to McDonald's, they were having to settle with KFC, open a channel with McDonald's. And so the Lightning Network or the Chivo wallet, as it was at the time, decided they had to scale further. And they then essentially became a layer three on the Algorand network. And the Algorand network added less latency and it was helpful, but it still got nowhere near what the demand was within the country at that given time. And the last state it got to was a completely custodial wallet. So the Lightning Network, the Chivo wallet and Strike out there at the moment is completely custodial. And I think the latest statistics stated that 80% of merchants will not trust the Lightning Network and 70% of people within El Salvador don't believe that it's something that they want to use. They've just experienced so many problems. But for us, that's because the Lightning Network went back to having to settle on the native chain. And theoretically, as long as people have the ability to settle on the native chain whenever they want, it's less likely that they'll do it. If they know they can and they know the trust is there and they know they can get out of whatever the layer two is whenever they want, they're more likely to trust that layer two. And that's essentially the principle that we're hinging on at the moment. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Have you guys thought about getting more like involved on the ground in El Salvador? It sounds like SoftNote would be a really good solution because I like the Lightning Network very much. Absolutely. Um, but there's too many like components to it that makes it difficult for people to use it right. and it's hard to integrate it. Uh, whereas this sounds like a much more simpler solution using SoftNote potentially. Yeah, Brandon, that's a great question. And it, it is something we're contemplating at the moment. We've actually had different governments reach out to us, seeing the great utility in our project and asking about whether they can use a national currency, whether it's centralized, of course, we're resisting anything like that, but use some processing of a natural currency on our platform. And it's something we're thinking hard and fast about. With regards to El Salvador, 
the way we're seeing our entry to market, to a certain degree, we've established an entry to market. But for mass adoption, we believe just like Bitcoin is going to start in the hands of general users. People are going to see this great utility. They're going to start sending it about. That gives us a great opportunity to iron out any bugs. It gives us a great opportunity to get to the point where we have complete confidence in the functioning of the system. And then we're going to propose it to the let's say, countries like El Salvador, other countries, for example, there's quite a few in Latin America and the Caribbean that are looking at digital solutions that aren't necessarily centralized. So we want to demonstrate the utility to the market first. We've got our big launch coming up on the exchanges at the moment. And as soon as we've got all of that hints of mass adoption, the development within the community going, we are then going to start approaching countries that align with our vision and would be willing to take on the project. Nice, man. It's very exciting. When's your launches coming up on the exchanges? Is it uh, relatively soon? Or I guess better question is, what does your, your roadmap kind of look like mm -hmm. finishing out uh, the first half of this year? Yeah. And again, this is something we've gone back and forth on, but it, mm -hmm. it's very interesting to see at the moment Bitcoin doing what I call decoupling from the general markets. And I believe that's just because of its decentralization. We've seen a lot of a lot of new implementations with regards to CBDCs, money printing, expansion of money theory being applied in ways that a lot of economists disagree with. So I believe we're seeing a big shift towards that financial autonomy, towards people wanting to have full control over their finances. So what we've decided to do is go down the DEX route because we're aiming to be as decentralized as Bitcoin. And another point I'll come back to, Brandon, is the anonymity that we believe we even add on top of Bitcoin. But because we see ourselves as going for this great decentralized model, that's the community that we're going for at the moment. So we're looking to do a raise on one of the big decentralized launch pads to get the interest in. And then we're going to go on to one of the decentralized uh, decentralized exchanges such as Uniswap, PancakeSwap, so on and so forth. And we've currently got our wrapped version of our token out. So it allows us to get out to those communities. That run is going to be over the next month. We're building up our marketing campaign. We've got some great KOLs that absolutely love the project that are coming on board. And once we've seen that we've demonstrated the utility on the DEX, because we know there are a lot of let's say, more retail-oriented customers. We've got businesses signed up at the moment that will want to get involved in the ecosystem. We're then going to go on the CEX. So as things currently stand, we're probably looking at, at about two and a half months from the CEX and about a month from the DEX. Got it. Very exciting. Yeah, I think the DEX environment is very fascinating right now. It's evolved so much in the past right. uh, year or so. So now <laughs> that we're kind of getting through very slowly, this centralized exchange contagion that has happened um, and the players that are leaving the U.S. and those that are shutting down, right. those that are getting sued, like everyone's pulling their money from exchanges into into DEXs. And if this were to happen, let's say two years ago, I think people would be freaking out even more than Absolutely. before. But now I feel like in most major wallets and most major chains, um, it's very easy to trade. It's very easy to hold things off exchange and have that optionality. So I definitely think it's a good move for you guys to also, you know, focus getting in on those DEXs where people have um, most of their crypto right now and their stable coins and probably doing most of the trading at the moment. 
Yeah, I completely agree. It's the type of community that we think are going to take very well to our project. It's the type of community mm -hmm. that are there because they love Bitcoin. They love the decentralization of cryptocurrencies. And essentially, because we see ourselves as just an addition to some of the best cryptocurrencies out there, we don't see any competition there. We believe that there are so many cryptocurrencies out there and it's predominantly Bitcoin that has a great utility, has a great purpose, and it's got an indefinite purpose in the market. But if we can come along and make sure that Bitcoin can get to the point where really it has the greatest utility, i.e. it becomes a circulating currency, it becomes a currency that can be utilized for microtransactions, then we go hand in hand with that community. And just like the Lightning Network has done so well, nobody's ever seen it as a competitor to any other particular crypto currency but rather an addition absolutely um another question before we start getting to the point where we wrap up a little bit um i saw that you guys are also working on business solutions as well for this is this in line as well with what you guys are doing with like soft note and similar products or is there a different idea behind and how you want to approach businesses um to implement different kinds of solutions with tectum yeah, two answers to that, essentially, Brandon. So if we go back to the blockchain, the mm -hmm. blockchain node structure has three layers and the blockchain actually has three layers. So we have the layer that can function with a normal token. That's what our utility token is running on at the moment. Then we've got the soft note layer. And then we've also got a DLT underneath that. So going back to what we were talking about, about potentially medical records or big medical data or even genome data being put onto a blockchain, and to get that onto a blockchain, you've, of course, got to hash that data. That can happen on our second layer or our first layer. But the full genome, the full quantity of information can then be stored on the third layer. So we're offering this to businesses. We're building out our AI department. We're building out potentially our medical research department and other businesses that want to collaborate or use that system we're reaching out to and we're having reach out to us but particularly when we refer to our business option as it relates to SoftNote, that's for merchants to accept SoftNote. so mm -hmm. i don't know if you've had a chance to hop on our wallet but our wallet as it currently stands is almost fully developed you can mint soft notes on there. You can provide liquidity. You can store about six different forms of cryptocurrency. And then you can take those soft notes off wallet and use them on Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp Messenger. So that is fully built out. But we're in the final stages of refining our POS system. So that's a point of sale system that merchants can have. They can put it on a laptop. They can put it on their phone. They can put it on their iPad. And by scanning a soft note, which has its QR code on, they can bring that payment in. So we've seen numerous merchants start to accept cryptocurrency. The latest Deloitte study said that 75% of merchants worldwide hope to accept cryptocurrency in the next two years. But we've got these scaling solutions. And when we think about the fastest cryptocurrencies out there, such as USDT, USDT has that blacklist we all fear, which uh, takes away from the whole point of cryptocurrency for a lot of people. And then Solana has had so many outages that they're having problems with their Solana pay at the moment. But with a soft note, you get away from all of that. So we believe it gives great utility to those merchants who do want to accept cryptocurrency, but they don't want to take that risk of potentially being put on a blacklist with USDT or the risk of Solana and its current outages. So we've got, um, I think it's 12 merchants signed up at the moment in four different continents. They are early adopters. They want the first iteration of our product as soon as it comes out. And they're very excited about what we're doing. And that was just a 
sample that we put out there for early adopters to sign up with. But as soon as the POS comes out, we're also going to be targeting that side of the market. Interesting. I'll be keeping an eye on that as well. Um, and then final question before we like close up, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin right now, given the state of the market, given the chaos with exchanges to regulations and the shifting of companies from the US, other places to um, I, there's so much going on right now. It's, it's hard to keep up with it. It's like a new headline breaks every day. Um, but we're sitting like right under $30,000 with Bitcoin. We've kind of recouped a lot of those past losses in the last year. And it's kind of sitting in this medium range, I guess. Mm. And I don't, it's, it's kind of hard to tell from here, you know, where, where are we going? Is it going to be, you know, another year or two of consolidation and, and growth right. in the industry? Or yeah. are we on the verge of something, you know, massively happening and Bitcoin breaks out and adoption breaks out in a different jurisdiction? Um, just kind of curious overall, what do you think about Bitcoin right now? And I guess the state of it. Yeah, absolutely. Enough that I told you I'd love to hear your perspective as well, Brandon. Sure. But yeah, as things currently stand, I've been calling for a bit of a run for the last four months or so. And I think we've had Gareth Solaway and a lot of these experts say Bitcoin's going to 5k, Bitcoin's going to 9k. But I think when you just look at charts, when you just use analytic data, you will come to a hard stop when there's so much going on politically, when there's so much going on from a legislation perspective. So once you look at exactly as you pointed out, all of these cryptocurrency companies getting out of the US, then they're doing that for a reason. They're watching everything that's happening with XRP and SEC. And they're saying to themselves, we don't want to take that risk. We know this isn't an environment for cryptocurrency companies to thrive, so they're moving out. But what I believe you're seeing also is despite a downturn in the general economic market, a downturn in the stocks, people are putting money into what was traditionally deemed a very high-risk investment, Bitcoin. And the reason they're doing that, I believe, is because they've shifted their perspective of what high risk is. Bitcoin is no longer deemed high risk to the general investors in the market. And you've seen even big institutional investors put a large section of their portfolio in Bitcoin. So I believe that's only going to develop. What happens with CBDCs, I believe, is going to have a big influence on that. If CBDCs can win over the trust of the general population, that could have a negative effect on Bitcoin. But the way it's been postulated, the way they've been run in their pilot run so far, I don't think it's going to garner much trust. So I believe we're going to see this slow increase in Bitcoin as people get to the point where they really consider it as the alternative option of not just a store of value, but also a circulating currency, a currency that you can make payments in. But not to circle just back to us, we've been waiting for a layer two solution. I believe we are that layer two solution, but nevertheless, it has to be a layer two solution. And if we can get a functional layer two solution in place for Bitcoin, I believe we'll see an even stronger run. And I think it was the ex-CTO of Binance who predicted one mil in a couple of months. I think a lot of that's marketing, but sure. I get the principle that it's coming from. It's the idea that a lot of people are saying Bitcoin has stood the test of time. It's demonstrated its great security. You know, name me another system that's so widely adopted that's never been hacked, that's never had the outages that some of the other cryptocurrencies have. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a slow run. If we get a good layer two in place, we'll see a much steeper curve. How about yourself? Yeah, I have a similar thought on it. I, I think right now we're in an accumulation phase 
where, <clears throat> again, like I mentioned earlier with the DEXs, people are pulling a lot of their, their Bitcoin and their crypto and their stable coins off of exchanges. They could right. sell and go to cash and to go to fiat right. if they wanted to, but they're choosing not to do that. They're choosing to hold their asset and pull it off. And so the question is, why are they doing that? And I think a lot of it stems from the concern in the banking industry right now in the U.S., which has created a massive problem that's starting to reverberate in other major first world countries. Uh, we saw Deutsche Bank potentially almost go down like about a couple of weeks ago, like um, the Credit Suisse, you know, had to get uh, bailed out, like some very serious things happening to very traditional banks. And I think it frightens people right now to leave their money with a bank that they believe they trust and with the inflation going as high as it's going and a recession, um, whether it has hit us yet or not, is like mm. on the horizon. And everyone, especially in the U.S., from our Treasury Secretary to our Fed chair is predicting that recession to happen. So right. now everyone's like, even if I pulled it to cash, I'm just not going to be able to buy anything pretty soon. So um the only option out of that is, you know, traditionally you'd buy precious metals and there has been a skyrocketing amount of <laughs> uh, money that has gone into precious metals since Indeed. early March. Um, but even more than that, it's gone into Bitcoin. And I think right now people are looking at Bitcoin less as a payment method at the moment and more as a potential asset to protect themselves. And they're taking a risk more and more every single day. And I think that's why we're starting to see um, a floor start to settle with Bitcoin. So when you don't have it on exchanges, it's harder to sell Bitcoin. So the more it goes into a wallet, the more you put it into self-custody, the yeah. less sell volume you have. And that order book starts to get a little bit more heavy on the buy side. And I think that's right. why Bitcoin has trended upwards since the beginning of the year for one. And then, you know, I think at some point in the next year or so, people are going to be sitting on all this Bitcoin, right? And they're going to be like, all right, do I want to send it back to an exchange? Do I want to trade it? Do I want to have the ability to buy something with it? Yeah. And that's where I think things like SoftNote come in yeah. or Lightning Network or whatever else is there for a solution to say, hey, if you have all this Bitcoin, which a lot of people will have, you can now spend it at your local McDonald's. Exactly. Or you can go to a retailer and buy a T-shirt or whatever you want to do. That option exists primarily in places like El Salvador, but it doesn't exist in the majority of the rest of the world. And given right. how well it's worked in El Salvador, I think other countries are going to follow suit very soon, um, including Latin America, where I live. I see it every day. Everyone is so interested in figuring out how to buy Bitcoin, how to spend Bitcoin. Yeah. So. I, I think Bitcoin is on a very, very positive trend right now, but at some point there have to be these payment solutions, which that is what I love about what you're doing because yeah. it's either their Bitcoin value goes up and either they just sell it back to dollars or exactly. they have an ability to hold on to it and spend it directly. So that's where I'm at with Bitcoin. Oh yeah, Brian, I completely agree. And I was having a bit of a back and forth with a VC recently who was interested in the project. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me Bitcoin is only a store of value. It will only ever be a store of value. And I was explaining to him, theoretically, Bitcoin is only a store of value on the basis of people believing at some point they will be able to exchange it. 
at some point they will be able to utilize it. You know, the reason why we buy gold is we believe that it does have some utility. To advocate that it could only ever be a store of value, if people really believe that, it wouldn't be a store of value. It almost undermines the very concept of value. There has to be some utility to it. And so I completely agree. I think everybody's waiting for a layer two. Everybody's waiting for a solution that allows you to transact it. But right now, it's a safe way to get out of trusting the fiat system. Exactly. I, I cannot take a gold bar to Starbucks and buy a well, coffee. Like I've told so many people this forever. Like if I could just take my Bitcoin to my coffee shop and buy yeah. a coffee, which I can do here in Colombia, it does exist. Hmm. If I could do that more often and I could do it with the majority of my transactions, I would just yeah. hold all my money in Bitcoin. Absolutely. Why wouldn't anyone else? It makes so much sense. Like we're getting so close to people finally realizing that, I think. Yeah, it's fascinating to see those who are very anti-cryptocurrency or those who are very risk-averse moving mm -hmm. much of their portfolio into cryptocurrency and especially Bitcoin. And it's encouraging just in a general sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, this has been a really great conversation. We've had a really good episode. Um, where can people go to learn more about Tectum, Softnote? Where would you direct them? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is one of the best places to get information. That's tectum.io. Our Telegram um, and our Twitter. Our Twitter is Tectum Social. We put all our regular updates on there as well. And we've actually got three days left for our current token pre-sale. So do hop into that. Tokens have gone pretty quickly and it's a great opportunity to get into the ecosystem. What about you? Can people find you on Twitter, LinkedIn, somewhere on social media? Yeah, absolutely. On Twitter, my handle is at Russell Tectum. You can find me as Russell Sean on LinkedIn as well. And love these types of conversations. And anybody who has ideas from our community, we always have a way of processing them and getting back to people. Absolutely. It's been a great conversation, Russell. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the time today. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. We will do, Brandon. Great to talk. Great to talk to you too. Take care. We'll talk soon. <laughs>